the Bible tells us that in ancient times, these people were worshiping other gods. And anthropologically speaking, historically speaking, biblically speaking, these other gods were the Anunnaki. So who were they? We are told in Genesis 1.26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So there's plurality there. The real reason there's plurality there is because the word that was used in Hebrew wasn't God, but Elohim. Well, Elohim means the powerful ones. The oldest text known to mankind have to do with these beings. Hey, this is Matt Cox, and I am here with Esoteric Eddie, and he has a, an interesting take on aliens and UFOs, and it actually ties into ties into a story that I've actually heard about for ten years or so since I was I told you since I was locked up, um, but he's here with us to go over it, and so check out the video. So then um, they'll, he'll play the, an intro and then it'll be like, I, yeah, so I, I appreciate you coming. Absolutely, man. All right. Um, I watched, I watched, I think a majority, eh, maybe I watched a chunk of your interview with, with, uh, with Danny on concrete, which I thought was really good. And I already, I know I already said this to you, but one of the reasons I thought it was good was that I was locked up with a guy named Chris Marrero, right? So Chris Marrero spent a significant amount. Listen, this guy had so many books sent into him. And one of them was on like the, the Anunnaki. But Chris, and I've actually done several videos with Chris Marrero. It's actually, some of his videos are like really, really, like they've got like 80,000 or close to 100,000 uh, views. And, um, and, and all we do is laugh and joke. Like it's not, it's not ser a serious thing at all because, because Chris can't, he, first of all, she's super excitable. Um, and he never really explains the, he'll just throw out Anunnaki. They were here way before anybody else. They were, they were giants. They were, the, you know, he throws out all these things and, and <laughs> yeah. he doesn't, he can't put it together in a, in a, in a kind of like a coherent, um, chronological story that you can follow he just throws things out where you know if you say well i don't understand well well that's you know well the bible says you don't understand the bible's raw and he just he gets upset not in a mean way because he's yeah. super he's just a hilarious guy um but he doesn't ever really say listen he, you have to understand here's where the initial origins come from this is who these people were and what happened was, and then start explaining the issues and kind of follow that path onto how it all kind of melds into um, the Bible and just um, all the way up to our, our current history. He's yeah. never, he, I don't think he could do it. He is super excited. He gets sidetracked. Um, but, but listening to you talk to Danny was, was great because I was like, oh, wow, like that makes sense. That kind of makes sense. Like, I can understand that. Like, I can just because kind of like when I was telling you earlier about like, um, I have a degree, I have a degree in fine arts. I have a degree in fine arts, but a lot of the classes are humanities classes. And in humanities, you have to end up, you do the study of art. Mm -hmm. And there's all of these, when one of the things that happens is when you start getting to religious art, there's a lot of art that's 
depicted that is depicted incorrectly because initially the Bible, when it was during the tra- uh, transcription or sorry, uh, the, when they uh, transcribed a lot of the Bible, they, there were, the transcriptions were wrong, right? Yeah. And so you end up having things like, and I gave you the one ex- uh, example of there's a, uh, a, there's a, a statue of actually done by, I think Michelangelo, um, a statue of Moses where he's got horns on his head. And the problem is, is that when the Bible was transcribed, the transcription was wrong, was incorrect. And so the originally when they transcribed it, it was that Moses, the, the character of Moses had light emanating from his head. And the transcription was, ended up being that they transcribed it as that he had like projections emanating from his head. And that ended up being horns. So there were all these depictions of Moses where he's got horns. Moses had horns. And you're looking at like, well, Moses had horns. Well, that's because, and here's why. Well, that went on for 400 years until somebody said, that's not what that means. And so there's all these little things. And so when I was listening to you explain how some of these things came about, I was like, that a lot of that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, with that said, sorry, can we, you want to, can we, you want to start at the, kind of at the beginning, just kind of like yeah, first, like man. where, where, how you got into this, where you were raised and just absolutely. a little bit about you and. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me here. Sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I've I've been researching this stuff for basically half my life now. And I just want to say to everybody listening and watching, you know, I'm not a degreed professional. You know, I'm a college dropout. But I am somebody who has spent half of their life at this point researching, studying, writing, and creating content around this stuff, the conspiratorial, esoteric, occult. It's been my life. It's been what my life has been about pretty much ever since I was a kid. And yeah, ever since I can, as far back as I can remember, my life always revolved these questions, these bigger questions, these bigger subjects. For example, when I was like in first grade, I remember going to the library and picking out a book and that book had to do with dinosaurs and dragons and knights and that whole thing. But somewhere in that book, there was a, there was a section about the Holy Grail. And I remember looking at that and being fascinated. And as a kid, I wanted to go out and find the Holy Grail. That was like my goal, my dream, you know? And so I always had a fascination with like artifacts and ancient things. And at the time, I didn't know what it really was. I thought it was literally just a golden cup, you know? But later on in life, I found out that it was a much deeper complex theory having to do with either the bloodline of Jesus Christ or the Ark of the Covenant, which is a whole nother topic in itself. But I'm just saying that to let you know that my life has always revolved around that fascination for these things. And as I got older, I started to learn the more deeper and, and specific detailed truths about these things. And um, real quick, I'll tell you two other stories that kind of led me down this path even further. When I was about eight years old, my grandpa, who used to be a pastor, uh, told me that he had seen a UFO. And that shook me at my core at that age because one, I grew up in a religious family and we're we're all pretty open-minded in my family, but to hear my grandpa who was a pastor tell me that he'd seen a UFO and he believes in aliens and 
that he was questioning God's existence, like that shook me. I was like, whoa. So that kind of woke me up in a whole new way as well. And then when I was about uh, 12 years old in middle school, I met my first Freemason. And he was a, a cool um, on-site substitute teacher that everybody liked. And one day I had Saturday school, just me and one other kid who I, who I knew, me and him. I laughed because we were just troublemakers. But we had Saturday school with him. It was just us two and him. And um, since it was just us three, he decides to just, you know, tell us stories. And he always had this really fat ring. And so I decided to ask him, you know, what's up with that ring? And it turns out it was a, a Freemason ring. I didn't know who the Freemasons were at the time. It had the G and everything. And he proceeds to tell me that he was a Freemason and he belongs to this ancient order and that his priests had given him this ring back in Ireland. He was Irish with the accent and everything. <laughs> and so his priests had given him the ring and showed him this ancient dungeon where they their lineage comes from. And, and he told me at 12 years old, he's like, my priest on his dying bed gave me this ring and said, if anybody steals it from you, they will die. And so I'm like, you know, a young kid, like, like learning all these things. And then soon enough, um, around 13, 14, I start smoking cannabis, doing psychedelic mushrooms and listening to a lot of um, conscious hip hop that was speaking about these subjects. And I was always listening to classic rock, Pink Floyd, Jimi Hendrix, Bob Marley. So I, as a young person, I was always open-minded, rebellious, questioning authority, questioning the mainstream narrative. And then it all came to a head right around 13, 14, when I started reading the works of Zechariah Sitchin. Zechariah Sitchin started writing books in the 70s about the Anunnaki. And so he's the guy who like really brought this to the forefront. I always say there would be no ancient alien TV show. There would be no Gaia TV without Zechariah Sitchin. He's the guy who brought the Anunnaki theory to us through a series of books called the Earth Chronicles. Although now I think there are some things that he got wrong or he exaggerated, I still appreciate what he did for us in like going in detail and looking at every civilization across our entire human history and, and putting it together and weaving a story together that had to do with these beings. Um, so... I hope that answers your question. Um, but yeah, this is this stuff is pretty much just like my life has revolved this stuff ever since I was a kid. And more specifically, the past two years under the brand name Esoteric Eddie, I've published three books and I've uh, put out a lot of content, doc, full length documentaries, short videos and stuff like that surrounding this stuff. And so right now it's my part time work to research it and put it out there. Well, let's. Let's talk about the first book that you wrote. Like what, what, why, one, why did you write it? And what, what did you do to kind of prepare for, to, to write that book? And what's yeah. it, what does it cover? Yeah, cool. Um, I love writing. I've always been writing ever since I was a kid. I actually, it was one of the first skills that I realized I had. I've, I've always been like an introverted artistic person. I was never like an athletic person. Didn't appreciate sports till later on in life. And so in fourth grade, I won a writing contest. And that was the first time in life that I realized I had something that I could like utilize in this world. Right. And so I've, I've been writing ever since. And the first book I ever wrote actually was titled The Anunnaki Theorem. And I wrote that when I was like 20, somewhere between 20 and 23. I don't remember. I'm 29 now and a lot has happened since then. A lot of craziness. But um, 
I wrote that book and it was horrible, to be honest. It was horrible. I was a, a horrible uh, like academic writer at that time. Um, and so that it, it did a little stint for a couple years. And then years later, around 25, I wrote a book titled The Lucifer Mystery Revealed. And that book was actually a success. That's the book that put me on the map with uh, all these podcasts that I've been featured on over the past couple of years. I feel like I've seen that book. I've, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that book got me on the map. So I've been featured on over a hundred shows to speak sp specifically about that book. But um, yeah, that, I dropped that one in 2022, The Lucifer Mystery Revealed, and then did my rounds and, and kind of got out into the world because of that book. And then I came back to the Anunnaki book and decided, you know what? I can't just let that be. So I went back and I did it some justice and I just gutted it and rewrote it. And, and, and now the Anunnaki Theorem, which is available, is a whole new book. And it's, I'm now I'm actually proud of that book. So I have rewritten my first book and, and put it out as a new edition. So when people ask me, what's the first book that you wrote? You know, technically it was the Anunnaki Theorem. Right. But people know me from the Lucifer Mystery Revealed first. So what 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 does the uh, Anunnaki theorem cover? So I say um, basically all my books are academic perspectives. I try to write from an, uh, an unbiased academic historical perspective. The Anunnaki basically covers um, how monotheism was created, why monotheism was created, and how it was influenced. <laughs> what, what is monotheism? So monotheism is the belief in one God. Oh, okay. So in other words, Christianity, Judaism, Islam. Right, all right. Which are all a part of the Abrahamic faiths. Okay. So the Anunnaki theorem, my book, um, demonstrates how the Abrahamic faiths, monotheism, was formulated out of the old polytheistic Anunnaki mythologies. I show you how and why that happened. And it's, it's an interesting path. And um, it's a dangerous one, I think, because obviously some people are very religious and in certain countries they would execute you for right. you know, trying to deconstruct religion. Well, I, they're not here, so let's let's get, <laughs> let's get into it. Yeah, absolutely. So, I so I grew up in a religious family. I grew up in a Christian and Catholic family, so I have a, a reverence for the Bible for for all of that. But I've never liked authority. I've never liked institutional religion, and so naturally, I've always questioned it. And um, so, what I found am, amongst my many years of research is that uh, Judaism, which Islam and Christianity owe their religions too, right? In other words, without Judaism, there would be no Christianity or Islam. Right. Was influenced and founded by ancient peoples who were coming out of the old polytheistic worldview. To be more specific, um, the ancient Israelites, right? The people who wrote the Bible, right? The ancient Israelites were actually a branch of Canaanites, who broke off and decided to create their own religion, to create their own culture. And the Bible tells us this. The Bible frequently tells us that um, the people of Israel are the people of Canaan. And, that, and, and historically speaking, anthropologically speaking, the oldest form of Hebrew is actually a form of Canaanite, um, a, a form of Phoenician. 
And so anthropologically speaking, biblically, biblically speaking, it is true that the, the ancient Israelites were just a branch of Canaanites, a branch of Phoenicians. And that's important because the Phoenicians, they weren't monotheistic. They were polytheistic. They, were, they believed in many gods. And the Bible tells us this again in Jeremiah when the Babylonians were descending upon the kingdom of Judah. This was a real historical event. Um, right around 600 BC, uh, the Babylonians descended upon, upon the kingdom of Judah and some of the other Middle Eastern um, countries or, or kingdoms and started taking them captive. And around that time, the, the Israelites were losing their faith. And the book of Jeremiah tells us this. Jeremiah tells us that at that time, the people were worshiping as many gods as there were streets. So they were reverting back to their old ways. That's what the whole book of the, the first couple books of the Bible are about. Right. Are, are trying to get the Israelites to like stop worshiping all these other gods and then realize that Yahweh is the one true God. That's what the whole first couple books are about. And so... If we're, we're frequently being told that these ancient Israelites were worshiping other gods, and we're even told, we are even told in, in the Bible that Abraham's own father, Terah, worshiped other gods. And so when we look at these ancient cultures, anthropologically speaking, historically speaking, and ask ourselves, who were these other gods? They tell us who these other gods were. These other gods were the Anunnaki. And this is evident in, uh, Hammurabi's law code. Hammurabi's law code is taught in every high school. I remember learning about it in, in ninth or 10th grade. And Hammurabi's law code is, is praised as being one of the greatest um, first pieces of law, whatever, you know. But in Hammurabi's law code, the very first opening lines are him giving praise to the Anunnaki. He says, um, I, you know, I'm paraphrasing. I'm, I praise to the Anunnaki, to King, to the God Anu and his son El, uh, or, uh, and Lil, and so on and so forth. And so again, the Bible tells us that in ancient times, these people were worshiping other gods. And anthropologically speaking, historically speaking, biblically speaking, these other gods were the Anunnaki. So who were? So who were they? Right. So so naturally, that leads us to ask, who were they, and why does that matter? Right, so the reason it matters is because we have these Abrahamic faiths that have been more or less controlling the world for the past 5,000 years or so. And so much so that even the leader of the not so free world, Putin, you know, is a Christian, you know? You can see him, he's always doing the Hail Mary, he's rocking a cross, he's an Orthodox Christian. I mean, so religion is very pervasive in our world. These Abrahamic right. faiths are very pervasive in our world. And we've been killing each other over these things and, and, and jailing each other and all these different things, indoctrinating each other over these things. And it's a, it's a bit ridiculous because they're founded on a fallacy, a, a misconception. And the misconception is that they, they are like infallible. When the truth is these Abrahamic faiths were founded on polytheistic religions. And we know this because of uh, different pieces of evidence. For example, when we study history and look at the most ancient culture um, that we know of today, that of the Sumerians, they tell us a whole different mythology about who we are and how we got here. 
And that mythology is still in the Bible and, and in these Abrahamic faiths. It's just watered down. Yeah, I was gonna say a lot of those the stories are repeated and altered slightly, like the the flood. Exactly. Right. And so the Sumerian culture was basically buried underneath the sands of time up until the 1800s. We had we had forgot about them. We had lost that part of our history. We didn't know about them. We had little hints of them. For example, in the Bible, they were known as um, the people of Shinar. But it wasn't until the 1800s when we started to dig them back up fr from um, Iraq and those other areas and started to uncover thousands of clay tablets, and, which all have not been translated yet, at least publicly. And so when we read these tablets, it became clear to us that the Bible was influenced by, the, by these mythologies. For example, the Sumerians tell us through their stories that these Anunnaki beings who were their gods, our gods, created us through some sort of experimentation of taking their blood and what they call clay and then creating us. And so this is thousands of years before the Bible, but the Bible retells this in Genesis when we are told that God made Adam or man from the dust. So you're saying before the Old Testament? Oh yeah, okay. yeah. These Sumerian tablets are, are at least a couple thousand years older than the Old Testament. And they've and just been lost to time because for whatever reason. Mostly war, mostly war. Yeah, I was going to say uh, the 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 victors write the yeah. history. So, yeah, and so so the Sumerian stories tell us that these Anunnaki beings created us through an admixture of their blood and whatever whatever clay was to them. So some kind of experimentation, and they tell us that it was an operation done by multiple beings, not one god. And the interesting thing is, the Bible repeats this almost verbatim. We are told in Genesis one twenty six. And you can go and look at this in any English Bible right now. Genesis 1.26, we are told, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so there's plurality there. And uh, that plurality has been debated. Theologians will tell you that that plurality is there for either because it's God speaking to the angels or it's God speaking to Jesus or it's God speaking to his divine counsel. And all of these are, you know, good reasons to debate, but the, the real reason there is plurality there is because the word that was used in Hebrew wasn't God, but Elohim. So when you plug that word in, what we should be reading is, and the Elohim said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so who are the Elohim? Well, Elohim means the powerful ones. And so again, if we're looking at this through historical perspective, not a religious perspective, and start to ask ourselves, what was going on at that time? Why were these writers talking about powerful ones and Elohims and beings that were creating us in their image? The reason that the, the writers of the Torah were describing this is because they were retelling the story of their ancestors. The early Israelites who were Canaanites were descendants of the Sumerians. They weren't that far removed from them, historically speaking. So it makes sense that they were simply retelling the stories of their ancestors. And it, us modern Christians or whatever, we're the ones who are arrogant, who have lo completely lost the historical context of these Hebrew texts. 
but the the writers of the of the Old Testament and the Torah, they were not they they knew their their history, they knew their ancestors, they knew these stories. These stories were very important to them. For example, the Babylonian New New Year festival, which was held every year, during that festival there was a reenactment of the Sumerian creation myth. So these stories were very important to them. We are the ones who lost the historical context and made all these exaggerations with monotheism and whatever throughout the years. Okay. So still like, I'm still like, who are, but still who are the Anunnaki? Like, is that, I, I mean, I know, listen, I know Chris would say, we said that they were like giants. They weren't that they were, his theory was that they were aliens that had come from or, or aliens that had been here bef way before us and that they bred humans and there was a purpose that they bred humans for like slaves or something or i forget exactly what the reason was but yes i'm sure you know well <clears throat> i've got some information <laughs> so zechariah sitchin right he was the guy who brought all of this to the forefront again back in the 70s he's the one who first theorized that the anunnaki were these aliens from a, a distant planet and all of that which i don't agree with right now um, but when we read the sumerian text all they tell us is that they were gods they were anthropomorphic gods meaning they, they were humanoid they looked like us they had similar traits like us and What's interesting and weird is the oldest text known to mankind. Now, like, I really want people to let that sink in. Like, the oldest text known to mankind have to do with these beings. For example, one of them being the Kesh Temple Hymn, regarded as literally the oldest piece of text. When we read it, all it is, is, is us humans putting together some sort of weird ritual, getting ready for this weird ceremony in which we are about to worship these beings and receive some sort of information or something from them. And so that's weird, right? <laughs> the oldest texts, our oldest works as humans, we're worshiping these things, these beings, these people. This, unfortunately, the Sumerian texts, at least the public, publicly translated ones, do not tell us where they came from, why they came here, why they were doing what they were doing. But they do say some weird stuff like that we were worshiping them. And they do mention there, there is a Sumerian text that does say that we specifically, that we were created specifically to worship and, and, and labor for them. That is stated. Okay. And again, that is reflected. So that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's all we do as humans. It's in us to work. Right. And that's exploited, I believe, by the upper echelons, you know, the, the, the uh, shadowy elite. I think that inner trait is exploited, you know, that trait that, uh, for us to just work and slave away and worship. And, um, but that whole story, again, is reflected in the Bible. The Bible tells us that man was made to till the ground. Right. To work that we shall uh, receive the fruit of our labor by the sweat of our brow. And so these stories are being repeated. They're just being um, covered up by the guise of monotheism. So why don't you think, why don't you agree that they're aliens? <clears throat> well, because there's, as a historian, you know, or from the historical perspective, I haven't found anything that specifically says that. 
not, I'm not ruling it out completely. When we look at the entire picture, anthropologically, historically, mythologically, we can maybe assume that. And I say that because Homo sapiens sapiens, which is what we are, we are no longer Homo sapiens. We are Homo sapiens sapiens. That skeletal structure from what I've been able to read and research is only about like 100,000 years old. So we are a fairly new creature. Species. Species. And our consciousness, our cognitive uh, abilities are only about that we have, that we're familiar with today, that make us who we are today, are only about 50,000 years old. And so again, we're a fairly new species. And we also have this idea of, or theory of ancient cataclysms that Graham Hancock and, and uh, Robert Schock talk a, a lot about. You know, um, Graham Hancock just came out with that documentary on Netflix about it. And so anthropologically speaking, geographically speaking, we know that cataclysms have occurred in our recent past that have wiped out huge amounts of, of what could have been civilizations and, and large parts of earth. Well, I mean, humans wipe out every, every new, you know, deviation of the species wipes out the old one. Yeah. You know, as soon as you become a, just a little bit more advanced, you wipe out the, <laughs> you, you take everything they have and wipe them, them out. Exactly. Yeah. So we, so we have this weird thing going on with us being a fairly new species. We know that cataclysms have occurred in our ancient past or in our more recent past. And we also know that mainstream science is lying to us about how old we are as a, as a species and as a civilization because they tell us as of right now we're only about seven thousand years old going back to the sumerians but we know that's not true because we have places like gobekli tepe which go back to like nine to fourteen thousand years old out there in turkey so we know that there is something prior to us and we know that the ancient texts all of the ancient texts having to do with divine beings it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline tell us that we were deliberately created by some set of beings to be workers. And so with all of those pieces of information together, we can assume some sort of theory that these beings were maybe alien and they, and they genetically engineered us. Or they were wiped out. Is that so, what? so my theory is, or my conclusion, I would say, which I, I write about in the, the Anunnaki theorem. And real quick, if you, you can find the book uh, on my website, esotericady.com, but if you don't want to purchase it or it on can't- Amazon? It's on Amazon also. Um, but there's also a free documentary version on my channel that, oh, okay. that anybody can go watch. How long is the documentary? This is like an hour. <clears throat> um, but I conclude after reading all this stuff for myself that um, at the very least, they were, they were just survivors of a cataclysm. They were from earth where their lineage came from. I don't know. But my conclusion was at the very least, they were from earth and they were survivors of a cataclysm. And the reason I believe that is because one of the most ancient Sumerian texts that has to do with the Anunnaki known as Enki and the world order. 
tells us that Enki, um, one of the main gods, was going around and, and setting up civilization. If you read it, it's literally just him going around, um, appointing different gods um, for different uh, aspects of civilization and society. He's like, all right, you're going to take care of, of, of the farm. You're going to take care of domesticating the land and, and this, this, and that. And so he's going around and, and we're also told in that text that he had created the calendar. And so if you're reading this, you might think that, oh, this is the gods creating the world. But I don't read it that way. I read it as them resetting the world, having to reset. And the reason I think that is because there is a weird line in there in which we are told that the Martu people um, were with, who were nomads, the Martu nomads were without resource. And Enki gave them resource because they were without resource. So here we are reading one of the most... What, what do you mean by resource? Just like resources, like animals, food, okay, so shelter. Resources. Okay, so yeah, they, they, didn't, they didn't have anything. Exactly. And so here we are, we're reading one of the most ancient texts known to our entire existence, having to do with these gods, the Anunnaki, going around, domesticating the land, animals, creating a calendar. And as while these gods are doing that, we're told there's these strange Martu nomads who are without resource, who are given resource. So I read that as these beings weren't creating the world, they were having to reset the world and there were some disenfranchised people among them who also survived the cataclysm unfortunately but unfortunately weren't as savvy as these other anunnaki so my conclusion in my book is that these anunnaki were not gods i mean sure they were gods maybe by our definition of them in the ancient in the ancient world they were simply survivors of a cataclysm who rewrote themselves into the history books as gods but i will say they are definitely not human by definition because a human is what we are. Humans by definition are an admixture of their genetics and whatever else they pulled from this clay. Um, as Zechariah Sitchin and many others have postulated, they probably just took some, some um, late stage Neanderthal genetics and fused it with, with theirs. Well, you'd have to be ex extremely advanced to you know, to do any type of, of uh, a genetic splicing or, you know, anything along those lines, you'd have to be advanced. So if they're that advanced, then where would that, where would their former civilization be? Like, why haven't we come across their former civilization? Like, although to be honest, <laughs> to be honest with you in a few hundred, it like <laughs> I was watching this thing on uh history channel, discovery channel, probably, God, what was it? a year or so ago and they talk about like what would what would earth look like in a thousand years have you ever seen that and, and seen they showed like the, yeah. the breakdown of like it's pretty the, horrible the yeah. buildings collapse and i mean literally within a few hundred years it's almost everything's jungle yeah you know within a thousand years it's basically there's we're almost wiped out of like you there's almost almost no way without extensive digging or anything to even find out, realize that we were, we ever, ever even here. Obviously there's things that are steel and that sort of things, but then again, rust and deterioration and those types of things. Like it literally within a thousand years, the planet would just retake, uh, retake everything that civil, everything that humans have, have created and just, it would just be gone. So I could see, I could see 15 or 20, you know, a uh, thousand years, you know, just wiping out any trace, but still you, there's gotta be something. Yeah. And there is, there is something. And one of those somethings is the great pyramid. Okay. 
the Great Pyramid. I talk about it in my book and, the, and in the documentary. And as it stands, there is no conclusive evidence that that thing was built during modern times. There is zero conclusive evidence. I went out and I, and I, and I studied the three main pieces of evidence that mainstream scholars tout as being the evidence is that it was built during our time. And each of them is just ridiculous. The, the main piece of evidence that that huge weird thing was built in our time was, was um, what I guess I will call like the Howard Weiss theory. So there was a, there was a, what you what would you call it? Um, an excavator, I guess, a historian, a very eager guy, Howard Weiss during the, the 19th century who was trying to get access to the Great Pyramid because he wanted to study it, excavate it. But he was kind of a known, kind of like con kind of guy. You know, the other excavators didn't really respect him. And so he was always getting rejected access to the, to the digging sites of, of uh, Giza. And one night, Howard Weiss and his homie snuck into the Giza Plateau. <laughs> and uh, they blasted through it with dynamite through the Great Pyramid. And, and all the way up into um, the king's chamber, as they call it. And after using dynamite to blast through it, they found a little room. And in that room, they just so happened to find what is now called the um, Khufu inscription, or as some call it, scholars call it the Khufu graffiti. And they found the name of, of a pharaoh, Khufu, written in red paint. Oh, yeah, I've seen this. Yeah. I didn't know he blew up the, I didn't know he blew his way into the thing, but I, I've seen the red, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, swishes, you know, the way they, they look, the, the, the hieroglyphs, yeah, 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 the, the glyphs. Yeah. And, and what's funny is as Zechariah Sitchin put, points out in one of his books, the style in which it was written wasn't even from the era that Khufu was living in. And even more embarrassing than that is it was, it was, uh, misspelled. And it was misspelled in the same way that it was misspelled in a famous Egyptian lexicon being circled during his time. There was a lexicon put together of Egyptian words and, you know, English equivalents or whatever. And in that lexicon, the, the name Khufu was misspelled a certain way, the same exact way inside the King's Chamber that Howard Weiss found. What does that mean? It means he forged it. He looked at the lexicon and found a name, went in there, blasted it, and then just wrote it. And and scholars took it as being true. Yes, man. I mean, to this day, that is that right there is the number one piece of evidence that the Great Pyramid was built in our time. There are other. There are two other pieces of evidence that I don't even need to bring up because they're not. They're not even as as respected as that one. Okay, but. That so so what I'm saying is there there is still zero conclusive evidence that that thing was built during our time. And what about the other pyramids? So I think they were built were built in our time. Well, the three pyramids, the three great pyramids, I think were were constructed by the same operation. Okay, but there are smaller pyramids throughout Egypt that I that I would believe were built in our time, like the the pyramid of Sneferu. Oh, and there's like this pyramid called the Bent Pyramid, which yeah, was started collapsing because it wasn't built on like granite or or, not, or it wasn't built on solid a solid foundation. And as it got heavier, it started to call kind of exactly. So I think those other pyramids were like us trying to like 
Mimic, Mimic, the Great Pyramid. Exactly. Just couldn't get it right the first time. Couldn't get it. And they're way smaller in size. And the thing about the Great Pyramid, it's not just huge. It's got like these mathematical equations written into it, which are fascinating. And what it does too, um, philosophically, which is wild, it squares or, or it squares the circle, which is like this weird, impossible geometry question. To square the circle... Uh, means to like draw draw out a perfect circle and a perfect square that can like fit into one another. Um, I have it more detailed in my book and, and in the video, but the Great Pyramid does that with its like mathematical equations. It actually squares the circle, which in in esoteric geometry means bringing heaven down to earth. Okay. So whoever built it was like not just putting blocks together to make some, some big thing. They were they were incorporating a lot of esoteric geometry and philosophy within it. So so you think that as a result of this, the the Bible was taken from a lot of these writings, um, and evolved along an incorrect path. Right. Yeah. Well, what what happened? And again, it's funny. The Bible tells us what happens. It's it's hilarious. The Bible, I guess, in a way, like shoots itself in the foot. Right. Like it tells you like all the truth, but it's like kind of vague. So, prior to the Babylonian exile, when Judaism was still being formed before the Bible was even written, remember the Israelites were losing their footing and they were going back to their old ways. But when the Babylonians descended upon the kingdom of Judah, they only took the elite as captive. They'd left all the other people there. They only took the elite. The peasants. Yeah, they left the peasants there. They took the elite with them. And so during the Babylonian exile, the elite were in Babylon. They were there and they were picking up things, learning things. And we are told in the Bible and in history that after the Babylonian exile was over, once uh, the Persian King Cyrus took over and freed them. Uh, the prophet Nehemiah and Ezra were told by the, the Persian elite to go back to their homeland and preach a new law. The Persian, the, the Persian empire was tolerant of the Jews. They said, we're cool with you guys doing your thing as long as your law coincides with our law. And so we we're told in the Bible and in history that the prophets Nehemiah and Ezra were, were given instruction to go back to Judea and bring a new law. And that new law was the Torah. And so they came back with the Torah and the idea of monotheism. And they realized that they needed some kind of unification so that some sort of Babylonian captivity could never happen again. And that unification was monotheism, the belief in one God, and who's going to mediate that? The rabbi, the institution. Okay. And so what I'm saying is monotheism originally with Judaism was, was created simply to control the masses. Okay. Well, if this was a religion that was created and you're saying that everything came from um, the Anunnaki, then is there a God at all? I personally believe in a creator. Okay. I believe in a creator. I call it the creator. I don't pretend to know what it is, who it is. I've never shook its hand and said hello. Right. You know, um, but I, I do believe in a creator. But And I think that 
all religions on this earth are man-made religions. Right. And actually one time I was I was I was sitting back and I was in, being introspective and I realized I don't believe in anything man-made. God is man-made. Right. But the creator supersedes God. Well, you know, I, I, I've actually said this uh, a few times and I probably, if I was more educated or more articulate, I would probably have a better, um, I'd probably have the ability to explain it, you know, in a better way. Like, I think that he, just humans, you know, we think, oh, you know, we're super smart. We know everything. We, we've, we got, we can figure out pretty much everything, right? Like we figure physics and and tra and the size and, of the galaxy and universe and the planets and how they do this and how they didn't look at and granted a lot of those a lot of those um scientific leaps are fucking amazing like i don't know like like how how do you figure out what this planet is made up of and you've never been there oh well we uh we fired a laser and bounced off this and used a reflecting such and such and we know it's made up of this gas like are you who <laughs> thought of that yeah. like what the so but you know and there's people that are just so outrageously smart right but in the end those people will explain concepts to you that you you can't grasp. I just don't have the IQ to grasp it. And I'm a fairly sharp guy, you know, not super bright, but pretty bright. And I just, you couldn't, if you, if I, if you gave you a couple of years of harsh 10 hour a day studying in the end, I don't think I could actually understand some of the concepts that these guys understand. These guys with 180, 200 IQ, I'm not going to get it. So the, so what I'm saying is if you've got different levels of understanding, right? And you get down to, let's say, a chimpanzee. A chimpanzee knows that how to forge food and he has a, a you know, a, they have a, a, a hierarchy. They have a structure. They have a, like, little societies, right? They have little, you know, they, they, they understand the jungle and this and this and how things work and how this is the boss and this is what I do and this is how our little society works and here's how we forge for food. And they under, they've got a whole thing going on. But they don't know that they're on the they don't know that they're on this continent. It's surrounded by water. It's on a planet. It's going through around the sun in the they, they don't know that. Yeah. They have no concept of that. And even if you could sit down and say, hey, guess what? I've got a magic box and I can communicate 100 percent with this champion pansy. He's never going to understand. You could talk to him for 10 years. He will never be able to grasp that concept. Yeah. So the idea, so that's the way I look at us. We're super smart. We can do a lot of stuff. Listen, five or 10 years from now, I think we'll probably have little colonies on Mars, you know? So that's amazing. But you know what? You and I are probably, no matter how much somebody could explain it to you, to us, are probably never really going to grasp the concept or be able to understand what the creator, or what God yeah. really is, yeah. you know? And I don't have to. Like, it's good enough for me to just, just like you said, like, I believe. And if I believe for no other reason than it's comforting to me, that that's good enough for me. You know, like yeah. I've got buddies that are, oh, I don't believe I don't this. Well, it, it, even if it's just that it's comforting, I'm okay with that, yeah. that it's comforting. That's enough for me. Like the idea that, oh, well, I, I have to understand it and I have to see proof. And I listen, if God came down and gave you proof, you probably wouldn't even be able to fathom it. So, you know, stop it. You're just not that bright. 
And yeah. I'm okay with not being that bright. There's lots of stuff I don't Listen, bro, this is fucking magic. Do you understand? I have no clue how this thing works. None. I push some buttons. It does some stuff. It yeah. calls some people. Good enough for me. I'm never going to figure that out. So, you know, I think that's the same thing with, with God. Like it's, yeah. you and I are just never going to really be able to figure that out. And that should be okay because we're really just chimpanzees. No, I, I agree with that. And I actually got two things to say to that. The first thing is I actually just got done reading a book that was written by the founder of the Illuminati. Okay. He wrote this back in 1804. I've got a documentary on him and I'm going to release my breakdown of this book uh, soon. It's a book titled- On your, on your YouTube channel? Yes. Okay. And the book is called Diogenes is a Lamp. And so Adam Weissop, the founder of the Illuminati, wrote this towards the end of his life in his 50s after he'd already failed and taken over the entire known world. And he's questioning morality and God and enlightenment. <clears throat> and to most people's surprise, he admits that he believes in God. And he says that God can never be proven because in order to prove something, you need a higher level of, of understanding. And how can there be anything higher level than God? Right. So God can never be proven because he already, he is, the highest level of 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 proof you know it's, it's i'm paraphrasing but it's basically, it's basically what he's saying is, is god could never be proven it, it can only be understood by faith because there's no higher learning or understanding than god that we can use to understand it right and i don't even think that's religious you, you see what i mean like i'm yeah. not looking even saying it as a religious thing i'm saying just scientifically yeah you're just not you know biologically you're not capable i'm not capable of understanding this yeah so and, and you know and that's not you know it's not i'm not saying it's a bad thing i'm just saying like genetically like listen yeah. maybe in two thousand years from now humans will evolve to a point where they can conceptualize that but well i'm glad you said that because that's actually what my uh most recent book is all about oh, okay so i wrote uh uh my third book and dropped it this year 2023 and it's called the crystal lattice mind illusion and it gets into consciousness and all of that and my conclusion was that like you're saying we can't fathom god now but i think that it is in our creator's intention for us to eventually be able to fathom it and not only fathom it and understand it but also fully understand what we are and i i use different uh mythologies or philosophies to kind of demonstrate that and one of them is a story that comes out of kabbalah now kabbalah is mystical judaism and there's a story within kabbalah known as the shavira the breaking of vessels and in this story we are told that prior to this universe god had created another universe and god had put um a piece of its light itself in all of its creations in that universe but its light was too powerful so that entire universe blew up it's the, and, the first matrix exactly <laughs> right like the first matrix, it failed because it was too perfect and maybe the big bang was that explosion i don't know but in the story we're told he he created a second universe he went at it again and that second universe is the one that we live in and in this universe he withdrew some of his light withdrew some of his his essence and so that so that we could be sustained and actually live and to me that explains why god is seemingly everywhere but also seemingly nowhere and um so to me i, I feel like it's in god's intention for us to eventually evolve to the point where we can fathom it 
And I think that also because I believe if we want to understand God, at least to some extent, all we have to do is study nature. I believe nature is God's direct expression because nature is the only thing that occurs that exists without any interference. And so that is God's direct expression. It is what God expects, I believe. And so when we study nature, we can understand what God expects of us. And we know that God expects us to struggle. Everything in nature struggles. God expects us to evolve. Everything in nature evolves. And I think that it's all heading to a, a, an end. It's not, I don't think it's just frivolously happening. I don't think things are just flowing endlessly, chaotically. I think everything is evolving to a point where we will eventually be able to fathom God. Are we there yet? I don't think so. But will we be? I believe so. And even the Bible tells us, tells us this. Again, the Bible, the New Testament tells us that in the end, we will be upgraded. We will be given new bodies. That's what Christ tells us. He tells us that we will be given new bodies. And uh, what will those bodies look like? What are those bodies? Well, quantum physics will tell us that eventually those bodies could be light bodies. We could reach a point in our cognitive understanding where we can actually start to tap into these higher dimensions that exist around us. There, there are other dimensions that are existing around us right now, other energies, other light spectrums that are existing around us right now that we can't fathom or understand. So I think it's in our creator's intention for us to slowly and eventually be able to understand that. And I think he wants us to do it slowly so that we don't explode. Well, I don't think, I mean, I, I think that we are, I think we're changing. We, we're human change. Like, like, like your life expectancy, how tall you are, how just, you know, nutrition, like just, the, you know, we're obviously, you know, vastly uh, different than we were, you know, a hundred years ago, just through nutrition and, and everything else and just aging. And um, gosh, I, th I, I mentioned this the other day during an interview, I think was um, I had watched, I watched a lot of stuff on Mars. So I actually just, I actually just ordered Elon Musk, the, the biography on Elon Musk. Um, so, but one of the things that I, 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 I don't know why this never, it never even occurred to me, but I watched a program the other day and just, I just, the guy just happened to barely kind of mention it and talked about it for a few minutes. And I was just like, like the rest of the day, I was like, wow, like I hadn't even thought about that. And it was like, look, one, we'll go to Mars. Two, we'll, you know, the only, only real reason other than to say, hey, look, we beat the communists there, you know, or with the <laughs> rush, like other than just yeah. bragging rights, which is just silliness. Um, other than that, then, okay, well, then we want to have a colony there because what if something happens? And I get that. I hear that with, you know, I see that Elon Musk's concept, but the, the truth is like, you have to be able to go and sustain yourself to be a colony. Yeah. So if you go there and then it was, okay. And then the guy starts talking about, um, and once we're there and it's a colony, it's self-sustaining, what happens to humans? We really become two distinctive races because what will we be, what will humans be like that are born there, raised there and die there? They will, because once you go to Mars, just because of the gravity there's less light, there's less gravity. Um, the, they, they were like, they were saying that even the, um, eventual uh, radiation on the planet, even though we can try and protect you, protect you from it, there will still be a massive more radiation that people will be subject to. So 
all of these types of things and you'll be raised completely indoors, right? Like, uh, yeah. so, so what will humans be like that, that are born and die there generation after generation? And they start talking about all of the things that will change. Like your eyes will be larger and, um, they won't need to be as, as round like our eyes, right? They'll be, the, your eye, eyes will change because there's lower light sources. Yeah. Um, you'll have less hair on your body because you just don't need hair because there's no, it's not direct sunlight. It's not bad. And it'll be bred out. Um, your skin will be much, much more pale. You'll be taller. You'll be thinner. You'll have a lot less uh, muscle mass. You don't need it. Your bone density will be, it'll be so, so. You'll be so drastic. Humans will be so drastically different or Martians will be so drastically different that they couldn't even survive on Earth. You know, you bring them here like they wouldn't be able to walk around. They would take if they could ever recover from the lower gravity. If you're born there and you're raised there for 20 years and you come here, you're not you're not playing softball. You know, yeah. like even if you go spend 18 months or a year, a year to 18 months in in space, it took what's his name? Like hours before he could even stand up. He couldn't even stand up by himself. I forget the the twin, the astronaut that was in yeah. space for like a year or two. Yeah. Like he had major problems and he was taller. He was like three inches taller. Took like two or three days before he shrank back what? down. I mean, there was all these changes. That was just for a few years. And this guy was running or he was exercising two to three hours a day to try and fight that. Wow. So there's no fighting that on Mars, you know, and why would you if you never have to come come back See, to Earth? So imagine what our species would look yeah. like after three or four generations living on Mars. They practically look like what we consider aliens to look like. So, you know, in a way, we're all, we're already evolving here. What will we look like when we eventually go to other planets and create self-sustaining um you know, colonies there. Yeah. We'll, we'll be a, a drastically different species. I think we need to do it too. Like, I think we absolutely have to venture out from this, from this earth. Yeah. I love the idea, but I'm not paying for it though. <laughs> I mean, but I love the idea that, that uh, Elon Musk is that, that, that like of all the things you could spend your money on. Yeah. This is what you're doing. Like, it's like, okay, what would I do if I had, and it's not that he has an inexhaustible amount of money, but he, yeah. he's got, he's super rich. Right. So, what would you spend your money on to actually say, I think this is what I'm going to do? Well, it's kind of like, wild if you think about it, man, because like we value money and power and fame so much that like, why wouldn't we spend all we have as a species to, to venture out and seed other star systems? I agree with you, but I'll tell you right now, like if you gave, I mean, let's face it, it takes a certain type of person to think that way. Most yeah. people don't. Most people, if you said, hey, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, you know, a hundred trillion dollars and you could just never run out of money. What would you do? I mean, it'd be for most people, it'd be cocaine. It'd be, yeah, it'd be, yeah, I was going to say it'd be, <laughs> it'd be hookers and, you know, penthouses and, mm -hmm. you know, Bugattis and, you know, it nonstop. Like nobody would ever say, what about this? Like about the, space, the idea that, man. right. Yeah. The idea that he said that, that he said, I'm going to do this. I've right. done, I've done that. I've had some fun. I'm clearly not able to stay married. I've had a ton of kids, <laughs> you know, I'm this is, but this is what I'm going to go ahead and pursue. Like that's, yeah. that's phenomenal. Um, but yeah, that the thing with the, uh, the colonies, the human colonies on Mars, I just was like, wow, what it, happened? It trips me out because of course, within like the UFO field or the uh, UFO culture community, 
um, we've spoken about the Nordics, right? The tall whites, right. they call them. And and supposedly there, was, there had already been an, a civilization that lived on Mars that was wiped out. So it's almost like history is repeating itself. And we're like playing out traumas or something like. Well, I mean, let's, I mean, Earth, get, uh, periodically we do get wiped out. Like what is the theory? Um, the um, Like we're in the Goldilocks zone, right? There's so many planets. Yeah, that, the Yugas. Um, well, there's a, I mean, there's a theory that, says that shoot i wish boziak was here he's he can remember anything he, he'll be like oh you're talking about the such and such theory um where it basically says that most that there's probably life on on other planets similar to us but the problem is is periodically gets wiped out yeah and so you have to get past that you have to live on a planet get like a past game. that white that wipeout session to progress to a point where you could communicate with other um, intelligent life forms and that most of them, even though there's tons of them that just as a result of just um, asteroids hitting the planet or comets hitting it or uh, solar flares that most, most um, species that become intelligent just don't let, make it past that. They either destroy themselves, yeah. either the, you know, the, the, the star blows up or uh, they yeah, get hit well, by an asteroid. Like, game, or, like we have to figure it out before the sand clock runs out. Right. Right. So, yeah. So, um, and every generation gets that chance and like, it's, it's and then, yeah. Or these other species, these other, um, intelligent life forms get it. And they just, they, they're they're Even if they're at the cusp of it, it still doesn't happen in, in, in a decade. It, it's something to go to another planet that takes hundreds of, yeah. of years and, and many, many leaps. Well, let me tell you this story that, um, an African wise, wise man said about aliens and, and that, that exact subject. You've heard of like the reptilian theory, right? Reptilians and all that. You've heard of David Icke. Da I'm not sure. Horrible <laughs> names. David Icke. He's uh, the he's like the British guy who goes around and talks about reptilians. He's like pretty famous for like the whole reptilian thing and okay. talking out against like the the royal family and stuff. But anyways, yeah. So he started writing books back in like the 90s and 80s about the reptilians and all that. He's made it famous, but he learned about it mostly through Credo Mutwa which was the, who, who was the uh, last Zulu Sanusi wisdom keeper. He passed away in 20, I think 2020, actually, 2020 or 2021 at like 90 something years old. And there's still videos of him speaking online. And I have a, a video, a compilation video of him. And he tells these amazing stories, dude, as, as this Sanusi from Africa. And he says that there's an ancient African tale about an alien race that came down here a long, long, long time ago, like ancient, ancient times ago. And that this alien race warned us about staying here for too long. They were a nice race. I forgot their name, but they were like these weird fish humanoid things. And they came down here and they warned us. They hung out with us for like a couple of weeks or something. And before they left, they warned us. They said, a species that does not venture out to the stars eventually dies out. And another thing is before they left, they said, if you humans could figure a way to get rid of hatred, death, illness, all these like negative things that we were so encompassed by that they would come back and invite us to the other federations, but they never came back. Did you, um, it, that, that reminds me of, um, the, the movie arrival heard of it yeah you've never seen a rival no somebody else Bro, was telling me about doing? that 
right? Let's, let's wrap this up. Hey. Um, Arrival, it, I can't, it's so good. Yeah. It's so good Somebody because- was just telling me about that. I can't believe, I'm, I'm so disappointed in you. Did you ever see Contact? <laughs> no, dude. It was a book written by Carl Sagan. So what's so funny about Contact, mm. it was written by Carl Sagan. Like I read that book in like- day and a half i mean it was in it's it's not no it is an easy read it's a great read um but it was carl sagan uh he wrote it i almost said before he died because it's so difficult to write him after you die um well it's easy to write you just can't get him published so um he anyway and it was about you know seti yeah what's so funny is when the book came out um you know seti is like you're 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 laughing like it's it's laughable right like like when i grew up you know, you're, how old are you now? 29. Yeah, you're 29. Like, you're a baby. So, you know, I'm 54 years old. So, when I grew up uh, in the, you know, in the 80s and 90s, you know, if you talked about UFOs, like, it was like, you're a crackpot, bro. You know? So, this book came out at that time. And it and it's it follows, it's, the movie is actually Jodie Foster, right? Plays, mm-hmm. plays uh, the, the lead character of... Um, God, I forget her name, but she's great. Uh, the, the character, and she basically is one of the one of these people in SETI, and she's trying to get funding and this and that. Oh, do you know what? I think I might have seen this actually. Yeah. And so what 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 ends up happening is they end up getting a they end up getting a message from Vega, right? Which is a, a, a one of our closer um, uh, constellations to, to yeah. us. So it, and there's nothing there. It's like, the brightest one too. Yeah, right? but it's but there's like nothing there. You know what I'm saying? Like like they're like we've checked. Like there's nobody even there. Like it's not yeah. like a, there's a planet sending it. Like where's it? They don't even know where it's coming from. But it comes and it takes months and months and months to even figure out what the message is. But when they do, it's all it really is is blueprints to build mm. something. Mm-hmm. It's like these really complicated blueprints to build this massive machine, and I mean massive. So. The several of the governments put, they all start putting in money and they build this machine. Now, of course, they don't really know what it is. Like, they don't know, is this, are we building a bomb? Like, you know, maybe, and there's all these debates in Congress. Like, he he really goes through, like, how, what an upsetting event this would be. Yeah. People are saying, don't build it. It could be a bomb. We don't know what it is. It's not clear. Like, it's clear that they told us schematics, but the schematics are based on on numbers, right? Which is mm-hmm. universal. Yeah. So, you know, numbers don't change no matter where. Like, we all know that's going to be common theme. So, they don't communicate with us. They don't really tell us what this is. They say build. There's basically a build it. And they have a picture of a humanoid in the middle of it. So, what you know is you're going to build it and there's going to be a humanoid in the middle of it and something will happen. So, they build it. And, of course, people are saying, well, yeah, there's probably, that's probably you put this humanoid and it's then going to wipe out all humanoids on the yeah, planet. And then they're going to show up and we're all gone. Like they're going to have us build our own <laughs> destruction. And they're like, they wouldn't do that. If, because if they could do all of this, they would just come here and wipe us out. We're no, we're no harm to anybody. If you can travel the distance of hundreds of millions of light years, then getting here, there's no war of the worlds. There's the, they, they, they come above us. They sprinkle some pixie dust. And in two hours, everything on earth that they want destroyed is done. Yeah. Like it's that simple. So we build this device and the device actually opens up kind of like a little wormhole once they turn it on. And I remember this now. Yeah. yeah she travels somewhere. It's like a, like an island or something, right? Right. Because it's all, it's all really in her head. She never actually leaves anywhere. Right? Like it, it, the, it falls. Yeah. She's been gone like 13 hours. Yeah. Like 
they, the recording that they put on her is gone. Records thirteen hours. There's nothing recorded though, but she was gone thirteen hours. Yeah. But from the outside, it, it looks like the it drops to the bottom and that's it. Yeah. Like that's it. Like like they turn it on and she drops and that's it. And they're like, it didn't work. And she's like, how long have I been gone? They're like, what do you mean you've been gone? You you just the the <laughs> device dropped. Yeah. And she's like, I've been gone forever. What are you talking about? I've, I've talked to this this alien for. That takes the shape of her dead father. Yeah. For, I've talked to him for hours. And what happens is it's just it's just a communication between all of these different intelligent species everywhere, just as a as a communication between so everybody. It's more like a consciousness thing. Right. It's yeah, it's 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 you know, it's it's like a phone system. We're all gonna have to be able to talk. Like that's <laughs> what I'm saying. We're all now we can yeah. all talk. Uh, so that was a great one. The other one's the that's a great a great uh, movie. Yeah, um, it's great too because it, it, the movie's great. Like the book was was great, but honestly, it's one of those few books. Yeah, that kind of like Fight Club, where you read the book. Like if you read the book Fight Club and you watch the movie, it's really very close. Mm. It, it, it's one they of those did, few. They, so they did like a good job. They did a great job, and also it's so short. It's like two hundred pages. So it's pretty rare, but contact is much larger but they did a they did a great job have the you watched great. uh communion with communion it's a no. it's a willie stryber's book willie stryber's like a famous ufo experiencer and he's been on like dreamland and all that for many many years but they did a, a remake of the book and they starred christopher walken in it it's the most hilarious thing, dude. Like Christopher Walken, you know, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's like the He's, aliens. The yeah. aliens. You know, like it's 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 a pretty bad adaptation of the book, but still pretty fun to watch if you read the book. The book is creepy. It's very creepy, actually. Um, but I don't know why they chose Christopher yeah. Walken, bro. Like, he's a dope actor, but like for that movie, it's it didn't work. Not really. That actually, no, it did because he he plays the maniacal parts pretty well. Like when he gets all maniacal and like aggravated, but like his little funny, the little funny things he does, his little accent, like those parts are just kind of like hilarious. Well, so there's another movie called Arrival, um, where there's I think a dozen a dozen spaceships come and land. All of, they don't they really don't land. They just hover, yeah, twenty or thirty feet away from wherever they are, yeah. And so all over the planet, like some are in China, some are just in the middle of the ocean, some are, and so we of course, but they're pretty close to a lot of different. You know, there's England, um, you know, uh, Russia. Like there's there's no real under no real logic to where they're even located, yeah. But one of them, of course, in the United States. And we go and it opens up every once in a while and lets you go inside and they go inside and there are, there's a barrier, a clear barrier. And there are two beings that are in there and they're trying to communicate. Yeah. This was like kind of recent, right? This yes. Was, yes. Yeah. It was, it was great. And, and so eventually they figure out how to communicate with them. And when they eventually ask like, why are you here? Like, that's the big question. Why, yeah. why are you here? What are you doing here? Right. And um, they say, we're here basically this is where it's it's a communication issue um where it's like weapon like 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 they're basically saying we're here to give you a weapon but that's but it's a miscommunication mm -hmm. right it's not weapon it's like tools you know but okay. they misinterpret it um because of course the military is involved and they're screwing everything up yeah. and they're for trying to push their hand like well hurry up hurry up are we gonna hurry up bro yeah like, this is like we, we don't even know if they think 
anything like us. So eventually, after weeks and weeks, they they start to develop a communication. Um, and they they basically are, why are you here? And they're like, we're here to basically give you, you know, technology or whatever, mm. even though there's yeah. a miscommunica- miscommunication there. Um, but what they end up saying is, they're like, well, but why? You know, why would you do this? And they're like, because in 8,000 years from now, we're going to need human humans humanity's help and so we're here to help you now like time travelers not time travelers what they're doing is and they're like well how would you know what's going to happen in eight thousand years are you can you travel through time they're like no and they explain that they way the way they conceptualize time is that we're you know lineal right like we're moving through time but they have the ability to see an entire spectrum of time. So they can, as they move through time, they can visualize the past as well as the future, Kinda even like, though they're uh, only like, here. Like jet lag or something, which is weird. Too, I don't know. Like they, they're actually, no, they're actually can, I don't think they can alter time. Well, because imagine, because you know like how we have jet lag, right? Which I just experienced coming here from California. So it's like, I'm over here, but people back home are like two hours behind, you know? So it's like this weird time and space. Right. Thing. But it's, but, but it's, it's, it's literally like historic. Like literally you can see yourself in the future and what you're going to do and feel the experience, even though you're currently at this point in time. Yeah. Now, whether you can alter that time or not, I never really understand. It's more like, you have a hundred percent recall, I guess. That's kind of uh-huh. the way I see it. Is if if I could actually experience what I experienced two days ago, but of course we don't. We simply have a memory of it. Yeah. Now, or I could same thing. I could experience what I'm going to. I could feel and have that experience of what I'm going to experience the day before I get struck by a car. I can't alter it. Yeah. But I can actually yeah. experience and feel it and see it and know it's going so to that's happen. Like getting into like the. Subject like paranormal activity almost. You got listen. You got to watch this. You got to watch this because it's great <laughs> because you realize like you just it it you really realize like and even when she explains communication, it's really you ought to watch it because when she's yeah. explaining which com- one was this again? It's arrival. Arrival. Oh, this was arrival. Yeah. When you when she experienced when she explains communication because the military of course they're like well ask them this and she's like well. How do I even ask him that? And he's like, well, just you, we have to figure out how to ask him that. And he's like, she's like, right. But first we have to figure out. Google Translate. Like, like, what? She's like, first we have to figure out what this is. Yeah. What, like she starts breaking down sentence structure and communication. And you realize as she's breaking it down, you start to realize well, it's, it's amazing. We can communicate at all. Yeah. At all. And she's like, and you're asking me to communicate with something that's traveled all that, that is clearly a, we, we have no concept of how they think. Yeah. Like we could say one wrong thing and they may decide that we're, you know, that we're a hostile species and they want nothing to do with us. When in fact it was just, it was just an accident. I just, you know, so, and she gives all these different examples of um, miscommunications throughout history while talking to different tribes and how that one mistake cost 50,000 lives because of one mistake, you know, so let's go slow. Let's figure this out slowly. 
it's a, it's it's, a, it's an amazing movie. It's a great movie. Yeah, and it's strange, man. We were talking about this earlier. How like, um, well, the homie was saying how like it's strange how UFOs are always seen around like military bases and stuff oh, yeah, like yeah. that. So what do, what do you think? Do you think that UFOs are just military? They are real, or do you think there's like a mixture between them? Or I, I honestly, I, I it goes back to the whole concept of God. Like I I don't I think I think something's happening, and they don't seem like obviously they're not here to harm us because they could have done that a long time ago. Like, let's face it. They could round us up and, and make us do whatever they want. Yeah. Uh, the other con the other thing is I don't think they're here for a lot of people. You know, Oh, they're here for our resources. Really? What? Water. Water's GMO abundant. Bananas. Yeah. Water's abundant everywhere. So you don't need us for what you could go to any, uh, um, any comment, or comet out there and get water. Oh, yeah. You can go to, there are planets that are made up entirely of water. Water's not precious. It's, a, you know, maybe when you're thirsty, maybe to us it is because we're limited to what's here. But the truth is water, isn't it? Gold. Gold is everywhere. Diamonds. Diamonds are everywhere. Like the, all of the things that they could want. Oh, well, they, they want labor. Labor, if they could travel across the universe do you know how much, how many things they've beaten? They, the energy, you know, uh, uh, energy, technology, like, listen, 15 years from now, we're going to have, well, more like maybe let's say 20 years from now, we're going to have robots cleaning our houses and mowing yards. Like that's going to be a problem for, for the average laborer. But, yeah. you know, so we're, we're going to have that right now. It's already, AI, uh, AI is already causing problems. What happens when you put AI with, with um, actual uh, androids that can, can actually do things like, and, and that's only 20, 10 to 20 years from us right now. You think that aliens haven't got that be like, there's nothing we have that they want. So there's some other reason they're here. Yeah. You know, I don't think like Oziak was saying, I don't think it's technology or us and our technology or we've captured alien crafts and we're testing the technology or whatever he was saying. I don't believe that. It's got to be some other thing that has to do with communication with us and they are slowly acclimating us to the idea because let's face it, in the 1940s or 50s, if you had said, hey, there's aliens and they're here and here's what they want from us, society may have completely broke down. But now, like when they told us there were aliens and it came out in the newspaper, I was like, eh, I kind of figured that anyway. Because they've been, they've been slowly yeah. drip, drip, dripping it through, through the media and through society. And they've kind of acclimated us to the environment over the last 60, 70 years. A little bit here, a little bit there. And so I was dangerous. like, eh. It's pretty dangerous if you think about it. Like we, they've actually got us to the point where we've all agreed that they are aliens. Right. Like nobody stopped paying their mortgage. If there is an agenda here, we are definitely at the phase where everybody believes they're aliens coming from some. Planet. They're coming. They're here, bro. They're, 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 they're around. Here. They're doing something. They want like, something. But what I'm saying is like, if, if there is some nefarious agenda and there's some kind of a paper sitting on a desk somewhere with different phases that they want us to go through, we're definitely at the phase where everybody on earth believes that they're here and they're real. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's there's no way. And here's the thing I told you about Chris Marrero. I mocked Chris mercilessly. How do you think I felt when Chris was like, ah, 
I told you. And I was like, oh, man, <laughs> this fucking crackpot. I got to listen to this guy. Now he's yeah. like, I told you this. I told you said. I know what I said. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I actually had a friend when they dropped the like, was it 2017 uh wall street journal or whatever it was new york the Times. navy the navy videos yeah when that came out i had a friend message me and was like damn bro you were right <laughs> like <laughs> like i didn't even i was like bro, I, I didn't even go out there and say it because i was like you guys already know you know but but now my mind's different on it like i don't i don't think that these these uh mechanical craft are aliens i think the mechanical craft are a mixture of government black operations and the reason I think that is because not that long ago, I decided to try and make a compilation video of UFO footage just for fun. Right. So I make compilation videos every now and then. And I couldn't find a single piece of footage of a mechanical craft. We hear about them. We see pictures sometimes, like weird pictures, maybe. But there's not a single piece of footage of a mechanical craft. But there is hundreds, if not thousands of videos of orbs, of these energy orb things floating around in our skies. And not only is there footage and pictures of those things, there are stories of them going all the way back to the medieval times. Well, what do you think the, the Tic Tacs are? You think they're, you're th saying they're orbs and not? It's funny, right? That they, they described it that way because... They described it as a tic tac. It's like an oval thing that has no rivets on it. No, right. But they could. They never got close enough. Like they exactly. couldn't see. They were too far, and they're really so partially seeing them on their instruments. So it was like a pod, if anything, some sort of like smooth pod. If it was mechanical, it was some smooth pod-like structure that wasn't like bolted together. So you know. But I, what I'm saying is, I think the mechanical UFOs that people have seen, like the black triangle and all these different things, I think those are just government operations. And the real UFOs are these strange orb things that we do have a lot of footage of and that people have seen and have been seeing for thousands of years. There's a famous case known as the the Nuremberg UFO um, case, I guess. Uh, I don't know how you would look it up. The Nuremberg UFO case. There's actually a, a picture of it, a poster that this dude drew and wrote about. He said, on this day, hundreds of people in Nuremberg, Nuremberg Germany, witnessed these orb things dancing around or what they thought was battling each other in the sky. Right. And so I'm starting to, to realize through all these years of research and stuff and studying that they aren't mechanical they're not coming from a planet. And so it's interesting that the governments of the world are, are have been preparing us to, to accept that they are mechanical and they are coming from some kind of planet. But in the recent UFO hearing um, at our Congress, David Grush, the guy we were briefly talking about. Right. With the, was Bosniak? Bosniak. Yeah. Bosniak. Um, Grush even uh, said that they could be interdimensional. He said that's one theory. And that's a theory that I kind of like lean towards. I was going to say that makes more sense because, the, because, well, I mean, first of all, the, even the way they move, the, like, look, even if you said, hey, all of these sightings, they have some similarities, right? But they're all, some, they're all different shapes. They're all doing that. But here's the one thing is that almost all of them talk about the speed at which they move. Like they, it shot, it was gone. And then a minute later it came back and then it shot up here and then it was gone again. And it moves so fast. 
And to me, unless you saw that, I wouldn't think of the speed at which this thing moved. Like that's a common theme. So to me, if I was going to say, oh, I'm going to say, I'm going to pretend and make up that I saw a spaceship. If I hadn't heard that over and over again, one of the things I probably wouldn't have thought about was the speed at which like, oh, it moves so fast that, you know, it just disappeared practically. But it didn't. It was just was Oh, it was gone immediately. Like that's an odd thing to continually have woven through all of those con, uh, all of those different stories. Yeah. Because to me, moving that fast means that whatever's in it didn't survive, or certainly wasn't human. Yeah, right. Like it, it can't be. That can't be normal. Yeah. That can't be. That's not like a humanoid. Is it moving fast, or is it simply appearing at different points in space and time that quickly? Right. Yeah. Who? Yeah. Because that's kind of like what the 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 tic tacs were. Right. Like they yeah. just or or the guys. I think the guys were saying. Some of them said no. It did. It like it shot off or it moved so fast. They're like, I mean, like there's just there's no way that's that's man made. Like there was just yeah. nothing even close to it. I'm not even sure why you would have to move that fast. <laughs> but right. So the interdimensional thing. Why do you think interdimensional? And once again, why be here? Yeah, or do they not even know that they are here? Well, there's there's, there's, there's just a side different effect. reasons why I, I'm starting to think that. And what? Okay, one reason I'll start with this is is because I I kind of like what Carl Jung and Jacques Vallée had to say about it. So I'm sure many of us know who Carl Jung is. He's the the famous psychoanalyst. Yeah. you know, right up there with Sigmund Freud. Um, and but Carl Jung was way more esoteric and occult, man. He's just got some amazing books. And he actually has a book on UFOs that I love. And you told me that earlier. Yeah, yeah. yeah Cause we were talking about Dude, and it's called uh Flying Saucers, a modern myth of things seen in the skies. I have a breakdown of that in my in my on my channel. And he he says that these things are probably not mechanical. He says these things are probably something that has to do with our collective consciousness. Right. He believes that the UFOs that we started to see in the modern era during the world wars was a result of our collective conscious being so um, peaked by all the chaos that was going on. Because we, we all have a individual consciousness and an individual subconscious. And our individual subconscious is so powerful that it can create hallucinations in our lives. That's schizophrenia, so on and so forth. But we also have a collective consciousness and a collective subconscious, uh, which we are barely starting to understand through quantum physics. And so Carl Jung theorized that maybe these UFOs that we'd started seeing during the world wars were, was a result of all of us having to go through traumatic uh, pressure and chaos of the world literally ending around us. And for thousands of years, humans have collectively and subconsciously believed in the idea of a Messiah figure coming from the skies. And along with that, it has been ingrained in us subconsciously since, since our primal days that circles have been some sort of um, symbol of perfection. In all indigenous cultures, the circle has always been a symbol of perfection, of divinity. For example, the Tibetan mandalas, so on and so forth. So all of this coincided in that era with us as a collective projecting forth a collective hallucination of these things. But where it gets wild is what Jacques Vallée had to say about it. Jacques Vallée is a world-renowned ufologist, like one of the top ufologists of all time. And um, I think actually he was, there was a character that was modeled after him in contact. 
Okay. But um, he said he believes, like, like Carl Jung, that these things are not merely mechanical. He believes there's some sort of consciousness aspect being played here. And he believes that whatever these things are, they're trying to work themselves into our subconscious and build the mythology about them in our subconscious. And so what we know about the subconscious mind and the different dimensions according to quantum physics is that in these different realms, like the sleep realm, right? Our dream realm, thoughts can live, fetishes can live, and all these different things. But these, these energies, these thoughts can become egregores. And this is now going, getting into magic and the occult. An egregore is basically like a phantasm that, that becomes alive as we feed it more energy. So whatever these things are, they might have started off as being our own projections, but are now coming alive sort of like AI would because we are feeding it more and more energy. And as it is fed more energy, it starts to become self-aware and self-conscious and now is its own thing. So our, our collective consciousness has manifested these collectively, like no one individual has come up with it, but collectively we've come up with these, seeing these things in different places and them doing different things. And now they've actually taken on a real consciousness of their own. Exactly. That's and too much for me, bro. <laughs> I know I'm stupid. It's wild. But this is another reason why I believe this. So, um, what's his name? Tom DeLong, right? Okay. You familiar with the Tom DeLong story? Absolutely not. So, Tom DeLong. Maybe, but I'd have to hear it. Sure. So, Tom DeLong, he, he is or was the lead singer of Blink-182. You know, all the small yeah, yeah, yeah. things. <laughs> so he was a lead singer, right? Superstar at one point, still super cool and everything. So he came onto the Joe Rogan podcast like 2014-ish and just randomly started saying that he was in contact with government officials, retired government government officials who were feeding him info information on UFOs and aliens. It was a really big podcast that shifted everything. I remember listening to that. I was an Amazon worker and I used to just listen to podcasts all day. That shifted a lot for everybody and everybody thought he was crazy if you go back and watch that original one joe was like man this dude's crazy it was it was, it was a, kind of an intense podcast but the things he was saying and the things he was claiming the things that he was claiming later became true At, back in that day in 2014-ish he was saying dude trust me i have a group of people who are going to slowly disclose ufo information to the public over the next five years over the next five to ten years and everything he said has come true and he started his own company called to the stars academy in which he hired on a lot of retired government officials um, to slowly prep the public for this information so he, so tom delong and all these associates of his have been behind this disclosure operation that we've been seeing as of recently and he was on the steve-o podcast recently steve-o you know from jackass yeah yeah and he said some wild shit on there and I made a reel of it. It's on my Instagram. And he said that he realized after speaking to all these people and after many years that these things are not mechanical. And he said, and I'm paraphrasing that the psyop of, of making the American public and the world believe that they're mechanical was necessary. It's what he says. It was necessary because we realize they're not aliens. They're entirely something else that we can't fully understand yet. And so it was necessary for us to believe they were like little gray, green men coming from a different planet because the real truth was even stranger than that. Right. And he says that in the Steve-O interview that he believes that they're interdimensional and that he believes that for whatever reason, they're interested in 
our soul, what we call our soul. I, I listen. I wish. I wish to God, uh, Chris Morero was here because he has a whole thing. He read a whole book about how on the opposite side of the moon there is a soul, uh, a, a soul catcher or soul something that takes our souls there. And that he said a whole thing. Listen, it was so bizarre. I was like, I can't even listen to this, bro. Like this is what <laughs> I was locked up. I don't, you know, he 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 yeah. had this whole thing. He's like, listen, listen, what's happening. Bozak would lay in Bozak was Chris Morero's celly. And he's like, Oh, I, I'll, I'd lay in bed all night. Bozak used to say this to me. We'd be walking around doing something. He'd go, he'd say, bro, let's, let's go. Let's go see what Chris is doing. I go, I don't want to No, I'm going to tell him that there's like, we, that six planes just went over the prison. Um, and they, uh, with Kim trails, he goes, watch what he does. He's let's <laughs> see what he says. And I go, and I'm like, Okay. And we'd walk in there and sit down. I go, and I go, bro, this is weird, Chris. And then Bozia would go, listen to what we just saw. You go out right now, Chris. There, you can still see him. He's like, what? And he'd tell him, six planes just went over with chemtrails right over the prison. And he'd go, what? Oh my God, I've got a book. And he'd pull out a book and start talking about how they're trying to poison us and <laughs> they want to reduce the world population to 500 million or something. It was like, yeah. He would just go on and on. But so go ahead. Soul catchers. Yeah. I mean, well, soul. Sorry. Well, I mean, that's what Tom DeLong was saying, like on this Devo podcast, you know, and, and so with all these different things going on, all these different theories, um, that's just kind of what I'm leaning more towards. You know, these things are they're not like these mechanical craft. They're not these physical beings. That's what we've been told. Right. And. After writing my recent book, the Crystal Lattice Mind Illusion, I I what is died. it called? You're saying it so fast. <laughs> uh, the Crystal Lattice Mind Illusion. Okay, and it's a book on consciousness, the subconscious. So I sat down, like I do with most of my books, and, and dive into these subjects. And so for the first time, I like really dove into quantum physics, consciousness, to learn this for myself. Like, all right, what what's really going on with all of this? You know, you're just not okay with not knowing. You're not, you're not my, my philosophy of, I just, even if you told me I wouldn't understand it, you're not okay with that. No, no. Uh, that's, 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 that's gotta be horrible. I, t I sleep like a baby. You must not sleep at all. You must have horrible, you, <laughs> yeah. must, you must toss and turn. I go right to bed. Like I'm okay with my ignorance. You're not okay with it. No, that man. That sucks. That's a part of my journey, dude. Yeah. It's, but you know what? I'm, as I get older, I'm, I'm starting to become more okay with it. <laughs> Honestly, like I'm, I'm where I'm at right now in my life. Like I could honestly walk away from all of it, but I have a duty, a responsibility to the people right now, at least at, at this point in my life. But I do plan on on retiring from all of this because, to be honest, in my in my personal life, I don't I don't talk about this stuff in my personal life. Right. There was a point in my life where I was fanatical, like your friend. Like I was super fanatical and. And when in high school, when I was learning about all this stuff, me and my friend used to get sticky notes and write like research this, research that, and we go post it everywhere. And I would do like these sock, these these soapbox like preachings about aliens and everything. But um, in my personal life now, I, don't, I only talk about it if people are genuinely interested and they right. genuinely want to know. Like, okay, yeah, because it gets to be too much. And I had I had a, a psychotic breakdown actually years ago because of all this. So, but it is true what you're saying about me. That is true. Because when I was younger, my mom had told me the story about King Solomon how, and how King Solomon um, was confronted by God and God told him, hey, whatever you want, I, I will give it to you because you've been good or whatever. You've been a, a, you know, a loyal soldier. And King Solomon said, all I want is just wisdom. Just give me wisdom. Give me knowledge. And because of that, God blessed him with riches too and he became the most rich, 
the richest man ever had 700 wives and all this stuff which became his downfall later on but i was just gonna say that poor bastard. <laughs> yeah and so when my, when my mom told me that story she told me just if you're gonna pray for anything pray for wisdom pray for knowledge to understand god and his works and i did i was eight years old and i got on my knees and i prayed for wisdom and for knowledge and so my entire life has revolved around wisdom and knowledge and i do have this desire to know things but i always do say to my to my listeners and, and to people this isn't for everybody i think some people lead happier and healthier lives simply being a christian simply being a muslim a jew or whatever or even an atheist whatever this is just me this is just how i'm built i i believe god made me this way the creator made me this way but ultimately and i know this in my heart uh there will come a time where i'm going to retire from all this i'm going to walk away from society altogether i'm going to just be a hermit and i will be unbothered i'm going to grow my hair out smoke my weed and take care of my farm <laughs> you know but right now this is the work that i have to do yeah i'm good with just not knowing some stuff i i listen i've listened to how how they're going to build the uh this the nuclear rockets that you know this nuclear engine that's going to help get us to mars instead of in like eight or nine months it'll get us there in like three months i've listened to how they've what they're using and the the formula and how the the special type of um um the uh, engine that they're building for the, the nuclear propulsion and how they have to use this type of isotope and this type of listen it might as well and i've listened to three th at least three or four different um podcasts on it yeah listen it might as well be charlie brown's teacher talking to me oh, no. like the whole i don't have a <laughs> clue it's like wah 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 you know, you know charlie brown's teacher yeah. the adults would sound like wah 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 and i mean i, I start to you know i and i'm like and i remember listen i probably a couple days ago i was listening to one i was like why am i listening to this this is never gonna click i'm never gonna be like of course that's why they're using the uh such and such this and that and i'm like why that's good i'm good enough to know they're gonna build this engine it's gonna go a lot faster yeah so um but so yeah because there's just i'm, I'm good with not with, there's some uh, things i'm just not me. gonna know i know like doing the research for a lot of the books that i write and stuff like that i have to sit down and read like sometimes like two three hundred page manuscripts from like scientific papers or whatever and i don't fully understand it you know what i mean but i just pick out the parts that i understand well enough to relate to the people i always love listening to um what is the uh Gosh, there's those scientists that are that are um or astronomers or astrologers, whatever they are. Anyway, on um on TikTok, like what's the there's a black guy that Neil deGrasse. Yes, about. he's great. You know why he's so great? He can break it down. Like he almost he just he just he just stopped shy of pulling out like a green crown mm -hmm. and drawing on on having to draw. You know, that's how much <laughs> he breaks it down. Like yeah. he's just enough that I'm like, he'll start to explain it, and I'm like, I can understand that. Thank you for talking to me like I was a small child. Because for him, he must be like, okay, yeah. now listen. And he breaks it all the way down. I'm like, got it. But when you were talking two minutes ago, I have no clue what you were saying. But yeah. then he'll say, imagine a bowling ball. I'm like, okay, I've, I've seen bowling, bowling balls. Ball, yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. So, yeah. Um, that's what I need to, to have it broken down for. Yeah. Okay. But I, I, yeah. I try to challenge myself because I like trying to understand it. Because I'm, I'm a college dropout. I sucked at school. But I always liked, I always liked learning. I just didn't like to be forced to learn. 
Yeah, I'm better if you entertain me while you're learning. You know, like if I watch Schindler's List, like I got it. There was some bad stuff going on. If I watch <laughs> Enemy at the Gates, I see Stalingrad. I see the yeah. Germans. Where I hear you, like I'm, I'm good at you know. But you gotta kind of, you gotta kind of give me. There's got to be some entertainment involved. Mm. I, don't, you- I don't mind sitting there. Like for me, it's fun to like sit there and just like dive into something. It feels like there's a certain magic about it, a certain madness. Have you seen Oppenheimer? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was good, right? Oh, that yeah. That was a good one. That, that was, was a good, good one. one, yeah. Um, shoot, what did we do yesterday? We did the Kennedy. We did a, the guy, the Kennedy one. Yeah. yeah. We did a podcast on Kennedy. I, I probably learned most of what, in that podcast, I've, I mean, I've watched a couple documentaries, but they're always kind of conspiracy theories, but I've also watched um i watched uh, jfk which with uh, oliver stone did the the movie and i'd watched that a couple of times so luckily when this guy was talking yesterday i understood but if you had to sit down and just have me read the chapter it would it'd be a struggle to be i think i l- probably learned more watching jfk than i did ever wa- reading anything in the in history can i try class. to explain to you what i what i learned about consciousness yeah, you can try <laughs> yeah and it, trust me like i had to reread so many papers for this book that i wrote and like really really try and understand myself but i think it'd be fun to try to explain it to you okay so you're gonna explain consciousness to me or try yes try so what i learned is that the mind which is consciousness and the body are two different things the brain is not producing consciousness, rather consciousness and the brain are working together. But uh, before I explain that, I want to explain what the mainstream academia tells us what consciousness is. So the mainstream academia basically says um, through the five main theories that are out there that I break down in my book and documentary, that basically consciousness is just a culmination of all of our senses working together at the same time, creating the illusion of a 360 experience. So because we are seeing, smelling, tasting, and all these other things going on within within us, at the same time, we have this illusory experience of being conscious, but really it's just more of like us being robots experiencing all these senses at, at once. That's what the mainstream tells us. They say that's what consciousness is. They say we are no different than a robot. We are basically no different than a bug. You know, we just, we we eat so that we can uh, live and we live so that we can eat. Right. That's the mainstream thing. But we all know that that is inherently not true. If that was true, then we'd all be the same. We would just be these these robotic-like beings. We would have, just be savages that fighting each other for resources, right? Exactly. But we are all unique. You know, you are different than everybody else in the world. I'm different than everybody else in the world. Sure, we have genetic things that are similar, but the mind, everybody's mind is different. That's what really makes us unique is our, is our personality, the mind, the consciousness. So we know inherently that the mainstream theory of consciousness is not true. And over the decades, scientists, specifically in the quantum field, have realized that the mind and the body are two different things. And one scientist in particular, uh, being Carl Pribram, who was a brain scientist, a neuroscientist, surgeon for decades, realized that the brain and the mind work together sort of like holograms and lasers do. Now, holograms are created when a photosensitive plate with information is hit with the laser. When the laser hits the photosensitive plate, the hologram is created. 
And he realized after decades of, of being a neurosurgeon uh, that the brain is like the photosensitive plate that holds the information. And consciousness is like the laser that hits the photosensitive plate, that hits the brain, and then creates the reality that we experience. And so over the years, we started to realize that the mind is distinct from the body. And another uh, piece of evidence for that is memory. Scientists have been looking for the part of the brain that stores memory. For many years, it was the theoretical engram, is what they called it, the, en the, the engram. But we have never found a part in the brain that stores memory. There's nowhere in the brain that is storing memory. And we've realized that memory and consciousness are synonymous. So whatever the mind is, whatever consciousness is, memory is stored in that. It is coupled with that. And we've realized through other life forms like butterflies that memory can sustain through death. When we've done experiments with caterpillars and butterflies that have shown that even through the metamorphosis process where the caterpillar liquefies and completely disintegrates and then crystallizes and forms a butterfly, it can still retain memory from its caterpillar self. So we now know that the mind is distinct from the body and that memory is coupled with the mind. And so that leads us to believe that there could be some form of an afterlife. And in this form of the afterlife, we could still remember who we are and who we were in this realm. And um, quantum physics has proven that this realm that we live in is not as structural as we may believe. For example, just last year, three scientists won a Nobel Prize for proving this. These three scientists won a Nobel Prize for proving that quantum entanglement is real. And quantum entanglement, quantum entanglement is, is the phenomena of two particles sharing information with one another despite how far apart they are in the universe. Right, right. I've heard this. And that is what Einstein famously called spooky action at a distance. It's theoretically not possible for, for two particles, no matter how far apart they are in the universe, to send, to send information instantaneously faster than the speed of light. But these three scientists proved that last year through a series of like arduous experiments. And so that tells us that our universe is what they call non-local. It is non-local. Locality means um, Einsteinian science. When quantum physicists say that something is local or that it, it is within the confines of locality, it means that it's just, it's, it's solid. It's just, this is a table and it's nothing more than a table. But we've now proven that the universe is non-local, meaning that this table is not just a table. It's actually made up of billions of particles that are creating the illusion that it is a table. And so what this means is that over time, if we start to tap into this information somehow, if we learn how to tap into this information and utilize it, we can create all kinds of crazy feats of, of, of extra, extraordinary, um, we can create some all kinds of extraordinary feats. And this can lead us to, to somehow understand how these UFOs are doing what they're doing. I've, uh, I've, I've analyzed some papers in my books 
written by NASA back in the 70s that were talking about this. They were talking about um, zero point energy. So what we're realizing through all of this is that all around us is energy that is existing, right? It's like a sea of energy that we have just, we haven't understood how to tap into yet. But maybe these UFOs or whatever they are have learned how to tap into this. And so if we can learn how to, with our consciousness, tap into these zero point energies that are existing around us, we can theoretically levitate. We can theoretically speak to one another through telepathy. We could theoretically travel them faster than the speed of light. Well, I was going to say, what about like remote viewers, people do remote viewing or people that say they've had near death experiences where they've been in the room hovering above their body, watching what was going on. And then and then when they come back, they're like, you know, hey, I, you know, my son is here, you know, and they're like, how do you know he's here? Well, I saw him earlier, you know. He yeah. came in the room and the doctor pulled him out and the nurse, they, so can you tell him to come in there? Like, how would you even know? Like, he's not even, you know, that sort of thing. Like they could describe what people had on. They could describe yeah. all kinds of stuff. Astral like, projection, right. remote viewing. Yeah. All of that. And like the, the mystics of our times have known all of this for hundreds of years. I've spoken on these ideas of traveling outside of the body, meditating to the point where you can leave your body and stuff like that. And lucid dreaming is a smaller form of this. And so we're starting to realize through quantum physics and all of this that our universe is non-local, non meaning that we can bend space and time, that we could eventually tap into this as a science, as a fuel source, and create apparatuses that could travel faster than the speed of light and po possibly even bend space and time so that we could travel from one point of the universe to another instantaneously if we could somehow figure that coordination. Like a wormhole or something, right? Exactly. And all of this is ultimately done through the science of consciousness. Because what we really are is consciousness. Scientists have realized that we don't live in just one dimension. We live in a, a multiple dimensions that are stringed together by an infinite dimension. And we interface through all of those with consciousness. And so if we were to learn how to tap into all of that, it would be through the power of consciousness eventually. Okay. And now you repeat that. <laughs> <laughs> um, was wondering about was the, uh, can you explain the book, the, um, uh, the Lucifer, um, Wait a minute. Hold on. Damn it. It was a, uh, it's a, it's not ladder. It's mysterious something, right? The, what is it? Yeah. The, the Lucifer mystery revealed. Lucifer mystery revealed. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Off. So that was uh, the, technically the second book I wrote. And I wrote that during like the pandemic years, pretty much. And I basically just set out to, analyze and research who Lucifer was, you know, where did that whole idea come from? And when I did, I realized and I learned that there actually never was a Lucifer in the Bible. Lucifer doesn't exist in the Bible as the character that we know him to be. And the reason we got there or the reason or, or uh, the, how we got to Lucifer being a character was through a series of mistranslations. So the entire world was introduced to Lucifer through one verse in the Bible. 
and that is Isaiah 14, 12, which is the famous, O Lucifer, how art thou fallen verse. But that's how we read it in the English. The English was translated from the Latin where we first see the word Lucifer. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I was just thinking about what you said earlier about the the, the Charlie Brown teachers. Yeah. <laughs> like, I probably sound yeah. like that right now, dude. Oh, my gosh. And I've had to explain this. I love talking about this, but I've, I've had to explain this so many times. Yeah, you have to know your audience. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. To... Um, but uh, so the world was introduced to Lucifer through this one verse. And the English was translated from the Latin. And in the Latin is where we first learned about Lucifer because that is a Latin word. Uh, Lucifer is a Latin word comprised of two root words, lucis and fere, which is light and to bring, which is where the occult got the idea of Lucifer being the light bringer or light bearer. Right. But the Latin was translated from the Greek. And where we would see Lucifer today, in the Greek, we would see phosphorus, phosphorus, which is fire, light, and all of that. But all of them were translated from the original, the Hebrew. And in Hebrew, where we would see Lucifer, we would see Hallel ben Shahar, which means Hallel, the shining one, son of Shahar. And Shahar is another word for dawn or morning. And that's why we got Lucifer, son of the morning. But Isaiah, the prophet and scribe who wrote all of this, wrote Hallel ben Shahar for a very specific reason. At that time, the Babylonians were descending upon the kingdom of Judah. And so he was writing a polemical prophecy about their downfall. And he was referencing an old Canaanite mythology of a deity named Hillel. And in this ancient mythology of Hillel, we learned that Hillel attempted to step up to the throne of Baal or Baal, who was an old Canaanite god, but was not um, strong enough to, to, to rule on the throne. So he stepped down. And so Isaiah was, was basically saying that the Babylonians were like Hillel ben Shahar, Hillel, son of Shahar, who attempted to step up to the throne of, the, of God, who was the, the Canaanite God, but was not powerful enough to do so. But it gets even more deep. There, there is a lot of entendre here because Hillel, Phosphorus, and Lucifer, and even uh, the Canaanite deity that was being referenced to, um, were all represented by the star or planet Venus. And Venus is the brightest object in our skies preceding the, the morning. And so what Isaiah was saying to us was that the Babylonians believe and think that they are like Hillel. They think they are like Venus, the brightest object in the sky, but they would soon be overshadowed by God via the sun all metaphorically and poetically speaking. And so there never was a Lucifer. That was a mistranslation. Isaiah was simply using metaphors and referencing an old Canaanite mythology to condemn the Babylonians in a prophecy about their downfall. Well, so what about, so, and you're saying that that, that character of Lucifer entered into our, uh, consciousness and then continued and w and there were and then it got written into the writings of the bible because i mean what about like you know adam and eve what about you know a fallen angel you know the you know that there was a a war between the angels and god and they were cast out 
as you know demons or like what about all of yeah. those so what happened is is over time we kind of weaved all of those different different stories into one story all these books were written over the spans of hundreds of years genesis right the garden of eden story was one of the very first that was ever written right and that was written like during the 600 bc around that era the new testament was written hundreds of years several yeah. hundreds of years later so we slowly weave these stories that at first had nothing to do with each other into some like archetypal story. But uh, within the church, what happened is some of the early Christian writers were looking at Isaiah and what he said and, and misunderstood it. And one of the very first people who did that was uh, Oregon Adamantius. He was writing uh, during the second century of the common era one of the very first Christian writers. And he, he tells us in his book titled De Principis um, that he came across the book of Isaiah and, and saw the, this story about this Lucifer guy. And it was like super excited about it. Like, wow, Isaiah is telling us that there's this other power in, in heaven named Lucifer and so on and so forth. And so he ran with that. And a lot of the early Christian writers also ran with it because they didn't understand the cultural context they didn't understand um, the Canaanite mythologies. And neither did we actually until the 20th century. This story about Hillel ben Shahar and all of that, we didn't learn about it until we uncovered it during the 1930s, actually. During the 1930s, we uncovered what are now known as the Baal cycle text. And in these texts, we uh, learn about these mythologies that Isaiah was referencing. And so, again, it comes back to this idea of us being arrogant, thinking that we can just pick this thing up and read it and go preach on Sunday about it without taking into account the cultural context of the ancient polytheistic worldview in which it was born out of. Well, sorry. No, and so, so yeah, so to answer your question, it's like it, it was just a series of misunderstandings and mistranslations, and we just ran with it to the point where it's a tv show now you know right. lucifer and all this stuff and it was never meant to be interpreted that way and also um to get to the other point you made about the fallen angel there is a fallen angel mentioned in the bible specifically in ezekiel but that angel is referenced to uh the angel in the garden of eden story and there is a war on heaven that is mentioned in the book of revelation um and but those things in, neither in those stories is, is, is lucifer mentioned we're just told that there was an angel, but that angel is, is referenced, that is being referenced is the angel in uh, the Garden of Eden. And so in my book and in the documentary, I say that if there ever was a, a Lucifer type character, right. it was that being in the Garden of Eden story. And this is where things get uh, interesting because this is where it connects to the Anunnaki. So the Garden of Eden story, as it goes, as we all know, you know, Adam and Eve were tempted or whatever by this serpent, this snake. Now, in Hebrew, uh, we are told that this Nakash, this serpent, was wise. It was a wise serpent. And I believe that it was told to us that way, descript, described that way specifically, because um, it was referencing an ancient Anunnaki deity by the name of Enki. Now, we already know, as I've explained earlier, and as you can see in my books and documentaries, it's obvious that the Sumerian mythologies of, mythologies of the Anunnaki influenced the Bible. And all Assyriologists, all Assyriologists, uh, pioneering Assyriologists and historians of today agree that if there was ever an Anunnaki who was considered to be the wise one, it was Enki.
And Enki, in all of the Sumerian mythologies and some of those that followed after in the Akkadian and Babylonian versions, uh, he was always represented by a serpent, a snake. That was his symbol. And so the Garden of Eden angel, the angel who fell, was the Anunnaki god Enki, who throughout the Sumerian mythologies is always going against the other Anunnaki. For example, in the flood story, as told by the Sumerians, him and his brother Enlil make a pact not to tell us about the flood, but Enki goes out of his way to tell us. So throughout the mythologies, he's always like this whimsical uh, character who's always has our back and going against the other gods. And he's, he's this wise guy who's always represented by the serpent. So what I say in my book and my documentaries is if there ever was a true Lucifer throughout our history, a fallen angel who wanted to give us knowledge and help uplift us, it was Enki, the Anunnaki God. Okay. Um, it, it's I don't, when you were talking, it just made me think of. Uh, have you ever have you ever heard read any Anne Rice? I know of the name, but no, I've never. Um, so uh, she wrote uh, the Vampire Chronicles or Vampire Diaries. Yeah. Like, did you ever see uh, Interview with the Vampire? I haven't watched it. No. Anyway, she wrote a whole bunch of books. Um, one of them, it's funny, it's one of my favorite probably lines is it's uh, uh, God, in, it's called <laughs> God and the Devil in the Paris Cafe. And it comes up over and over again throughout uh, several of her books with one or two of the characters. And it's it's this guy who who studies the occult. Right. There's a there's a an actual organization in, through, that kind of runs throughout Anne Rice's books. And there's a there's an organization. I want to say it's in London that studies the occult and they know of the existence of vampires and these different types of beings. Cause she doesn't just do vampires. She's got different, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so she, um, well, there's a guy who's in Paris in a, in a cafe and just smoking and drinking and sitting there. And he, overhears a conversation now he's one of the occultist guys that this that study so he's very plugged into kind of you know the whatever collective consciousness or the occult or whatever you want to call it he's plugged in right he's very aware and he happens to and it's a busy cafe he happens to kind of lean back and he can hear a converse an, a conversation it's an argument mm. between god and the devil and and I I think in the book I think it's called uh, Mimnock the Devil is the name of the book. So uh, in this, and actually one of the one of the main characters Lestat is also in that book too, like the, from uh, from Interview with the Vampire. So uh, he's hearing this conversation, and it's like a tear in the fabric of the universe where he can actually hear what's going on, yeah. and he lists, he sits there, and he's like in the very short time span, he could hear this, this conversation, this argument between God and the devil that's been going on for centuries and he can hear it. And what you learn throughout the whole book, which is probably about a hundred pages too long, but uh, throughout the whole book, what you end up hearing, what you learn at, once you read it is that the devil is arguing with God the devil's in, is like like the, it's it's Mimnock they yeah. you know 
the translation is Mimnock, which isn't like, it's like Michael, right? Yeah. Um, so Mimnock is arguing with God who is, and he is saying that God, you've created, you've created the earth and these creatures that have evolved. And this, this one creature, you know, humans, which are very much like us, the angels, they've, they've evolved to such a way that they actually have spirits and they're, but they're unhappy. Like the spirits, once these things die, these spirits aren't going anywhere. They're kind of hovering around the earth. Like they're still there, but their bodies are, and they're in agony. They have nowhere to go. And he's like, can I go down there and bring them up here? And God says, you know, he says, no, no, we're watching the earth. We're just watching this, this happen. And if that's what happens and that's the natural progression and they'll stay there and they'll be fine. He's like, yeah, but they're, but they're in pain. He's like, yes, but they don't, they don't know of us. And he's like, well, that's the whole problem, God. They don't know of us. Let me go down there and explain to them and tell them about us. And, and he's like, no, no. So this goes, the argument goes on forever. Eventually God says, listen, you can go down there and find the best of those spirits and bring them up here. And he goes, okay, I, I'll do that. So he goes down and he kind of comes up with like a criteria and he finds this group and most of the spirits are angry and bitter and furious and, and they're in agony and pain and they, they're just wandering, you know, they're just spirits. They have no bodies and they don't understand what's happened. Like we were these humans and we died and now we're aimless. And But there's a group of them that he notices that almost I think he kind of describes them as, as glowing. And I may be getting some of this wrong because I read the book 15 year, 10 or 15 years ago, although I did read it a couple times. Uh, because really, one, I liked the series, but I really liked this one explanation. And a, a group of them that were kind of off away from the other spirits were almost like uh, a luminescent, right? Like they were glowing. And and he noticed that when Mimnot goes to them, he notices that they're not, they don't have this angry, this energy, right? This violent anger in them. And what he understands is that they've come to an understanding that they realized, like, they realized that they were lucky to have lived and that they don't understand what's happened, but that they're okay with, with their existence. And he says, oh, well, I have to bring these up. These are great. They're going to fit in perfect up here in heaven. So, he scoops them up and he, he explains to them about heaven and he brings them up and they populate heaven and they're, every, they're all over the place. And God says, look, what you've done is good. These are great. I understand. He says, right, right. He says, um, they, and they've accepted that they were created and they lived and they died and they're just thankful to have lived at all. That they were even placed in existence. And so, he explains it to God and God says, yeah, that was a good choice. That was a good choice. And so... Mimnock says, okay, well, what about the other ones? And God said, and then this is what the, this is what the problem, this is what starts the war in heaven. Mm. This is Anne Rice's version. Yeah. And what she's, and God says, no, no, the other ones don't deserve to come. And he says, well, no, God, he said, you don't understand. He said, they don't know about you. These beings came to an understanding that they were lucky to have lived and they're thankful and they're okay with having existed. So, they're, they're humble and they're thankful for what they got. But the other ones don't even know. If I were to tell them about you, 
then they would be enlightened also. And then they would be like these beings and I could have come up and, and God says that that's enough. Like you complained, I gave you this, that's it. The other ones stay. Well, that's what the argument in heaven is that God doesn't want spirits to come to heaven. Mm-hmm. He wants them to stay on earth and suffer. And Mimnoch is, and the devil is saying, it's not fair because they didn't, they didn't come to that understanding. And so God casts Mimnoch out of heaven and he now lives on earth trying to convince these beings or humans that they have to suffer enough or something along the to understand that they're lucky to have lived so that their spirits will go to heaven. And that that's oh. the, that's, and I'm probably, you know, not explaining it as well as she does. Yeah. Cause like when you read it, you're just like, wow. So when you read it, you come, you almost come off with an understanding that, that the devil isn't really evil. Yeah. That God is unfair and the devil just wants the best for us. He wants us to be able to ascend to heaven. So what he's down here doing is really trying to elevate us to go to yeah. heaven. And God has closed the doors. So when you read it, you're just like, wow. Like you read it, it's like, wow. Like that's yeah. a, an amazing, he, she's taken that whole um, war between that, uh, between God and the angels. And she's, just twisted it enough for you to go to to almost resent God. It, <laughs> yeah. It's it's really pretty. It's, it's a complex and beautiful irony. And you know what's wild is again the Bible reveals itself in Genesis when we eat of the fruit. Mm-hmm. God tells us exactly right there in that passage what He really thinks of us and what He really intended for us. When we eat the fruit in Genesis. God or the Elohim say, now they have become like one of us to mm-hmm. know good and evil. So we become like them, the gods, the Elohim, to know good, good and evil. And he, he says, basically, let's, let's kick them out before they should take from the, the tree of uh, eternal life. Right. So he doesn't want us to live God forever. right there in the Bible is saying right in the very first book, he never intended for us to know good and evil fully basically not not be conscious and never intended for us to have eternal life well there's lots of things he says i'm a jealous god i'm an you know so that's just wild but it's wild when we look at it philosophically and religiously but from as from a historical perspective i understand why it's said that way because there's a sumerian story that it's kind of borrowing from there's a sumerian story in which adapa the first created being it's given the opportunity to go to heaven and Anki, the, the whimsical wise serpent God, for whatever reason was kind of jealous of him and, and tricked him and said, Hey, you're going to go meet my father, Anu, the king of the Anunnaki. And he's going to offer you food and drink. Don't take it. He was trying to kill you. And so Adapa's like, all right, cool. And he goes to heaven and Anu offers him food and drink. And that if had he had taken that food and drink, he would live forever. But he said no, because he thought Enki was telling him the truth. Right. But it was all backwards. And so a lot of Assyriologists and historians have have concluded that that Sumerian story is where the influence of the Garden of Eden story came from. And so there's so many different ways to look at this, but 
but I love to look at things from all perspectives. In the work that I do, I have to look at it as a historian. But as a person, I get a lot of benefit and value from looking at it philosophically, mythologically, religiously, spiritually. But ultimately, I know that these things just simply came from human stories. Yeah, they've yeah almost all the stories in in the Old Testament you can pull from different um, uh, stories that were written in uh, different uh, religious texts prior to that. And plus, you're you're talking about stories that weren't even put on paper for hundreds and hundreds of. I mean, let's face it. I my ex wife and I can tell the same story from 15 years ago. Same party. We were both there. And I'm telling you right now, you will get a completely different story oh, yeah. for this same time, same event, same thing that happened, completely different. Yeah, you, you were know. really drunk. I wasn't even that drunk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, this happened, you that know. happened. No, so-and-so slapped so-and-so. No, he didn't. He never even touched him. What are you talking? He just yeah. pushed him. You know, it's like, wow. Like the all, like you imagine over hundreds and hundreds of tellings of those stories, how, how much they alter. So, and plus, you know, there's like, you know, it's not like there's, what is it? You know, four gospels. Like there's something like a dozen gospels. Like there are oh, some yeah. gospels that just didn't make the cut. Yeah. We don't like the way you describe this. And that one, that one, like there's all these gospels. That oh, were, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it, but you know, it's, it's like when you're speaking to like to a priest, you know, that's the authority. So what he says goes, and that's, that's the version you run with. So, you know, like, like you said, you know, it's the same thing, especially since they were passed on throughout the ages. Like, it, it, who knows what happened, how, how much they've been altered. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, to me, it's, it's a mixture of being altered, a mixture of human error. Right. And, and something's just simply being lost. Since you, it sounds like you, you believe that there's a spirit, what I do you do. think happens to us when we die? You think you meet Mimnock and he kind of says, <laughs> look, bro, straighten your act up. Look, man. I think there's a difference between think, thinking and believing, knowing and believing. I don't know. And to be honest, some, sometimes I just feel like nothing happens. But what I believe, what I believe happens is um, one of two things is going to happen. One, you're going to basically just be recycled. Your whatever your mind is, whatever the whatever consciousness is, it's it's going to be recycled into something. Or two, if you're strong enough in your consciousness, if you know who you are, um, in your in your mind, you have that fortified consciousness, that self realization that the mystics have been trying to teach us to accomplish over the thousands of years. When you die, it's going to be similar to how we ease into a dream. You know, how when we ease into a dream, we kind of forget this life. And there's that one point where you, everything goes black and then all of a sudden you're in your dream world. I think it's similar to that. If, if we're not fortified in our consciousness, when we fade into death, it can be very easy for us to forget all of this and get into some weird samsara recycling, soul trapment thing. But if we remain strong in our consciousness, I think we could ease into that transition hold our hold our consciousness and then whatever that realm is i don't think it's heaven or hell i think it's just the beginning of a multitude of dimensions the but the very first step is maintaining that consciousness that that identity through the transition 
So what do I think is going to happen is we're going to be met with just some um, unfathomable dimension. And we're going to have an opportunity right then and there to either continue or be recycled. That, that's what I believe. Hey, I appreciate you guys watching the video. If you liked it, do me a favor and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. And make sure you hit the bell so you get notified of videos like this. Also, um, leave me a comment in the comment section. Uh, we're also going to leave uh, Eddie's links in the description box and the link to his YouTube channel. And hopefully he gets on the stick and starts pumping out some, uh, some more videos because he said he was slacking. And I really appreciate you guys watching and uh, buy one of his books and let me know what you guys think. See ya.